Every week we are reminded here that, uh, that the purpose of our church is to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. And that is true. And we are very focused on Vancouver, but we also know that God's mission extends to all the earth and that he is relentless in his, his loving pursuit of all men. And so we, we also want to join with him in his mission in all the earth. Most of you are familiar with Jesus' parting uh, word commission to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That has been the motivation for 2,000 years where Christians have left the familiar, the comfortable, uh, the knowing, and gone to join with Jesus and his, his mission uh, around the world to, to the nations. And so this morning, I'm not going to give a sermon. I am going to tell you a story. It's a picture story. And uh, for some of you that need pictures, um, it, it is a story of our journey here as a church into that, his mission uh, into the nations. And to understand the story, there's a bit of a prequel to the story. And that is, is that in the first years of our uh, church life here, many uh, of members of the church were going on mission all over the world. People were going to India. People were going to Argentina. People were going to Mexico. Um, Lane and I uh, went to the Czech Republic. I went to the Czech Republic a few, a few times, and some of the members of the church went several times to the Czech Republic. Um, who is not her real name for security purposes, was traveling all over Central Asia, ministering to leaders there. And, but it seemed to me that all of these efforts, all very good efforts and, and good hearts, it seemed that it was a bit unfocused. Um, we were asking God to show us how we could partner with him, but in a way that was more sustainable, long-lasting. And um, it, it seemed as though up to that point it was sort of a shotgun approach to missions going everywhere. And in 1998, I had a dream. Now, it wasn't a Martin Luther King Jr. dream. It was a dream when I was sleeping. And I generally never remember my dreams. I, I know I dream a lot. I never, I try hard. I write it down, I journal. I try to do those things. It never works. So I can only remember a few dreams in my whole life, okay? But this dream was very, very detailed. When I woke in the morning, uh, I remembered the whole dream. Uh, and that dream was God sent me, along with my teenage son, Ben, at the time, sent to us to Nicaragua. 
And our mission was that he was going to give us God's heart for the poor. Now, um, I went to visit an old friend of mine, somebody that I had worked with years before in, in Guatemala. And I had uh, no connection at all to that country. I had never been to that country. I never thought about going to that country. Um, I knew very little about the country, except for what I'd heard in the news about their revolution and then the Contra Wars. So uh, when I awoke, though, I really felt there was something really special about this dream that God wanted was speaking to me. But what was he saying? I didn't know. I had heard reports about my friend, this pastor, Bob Trollis, and that how his church had this incredible compassion for the poor, that they had built a, a large children's home, orphanage, they were doing feeding programs, they, were, um, they, they did a bunch of hurricane relief after Hurricane Mitch. Um, they were really committed to the poor. And so I took the dream as, as an encouragement. I, I felt God was speaking to me that we really needed to remember the poor. And at that time, we were, we were launching out in our, our food pantry that we ran for, for minutes. And um, I, I took it as an encouragement that we were on the right track and God wanted us to, to care for the poor always. And I, the fact that my teenage son was with me, I, I felt that it was, he was encouraging us to get the youth involved that and imparting that same heart. So um, about a year later, um, Sharon, not her name, uh, came to me and said that she had been at a missions conference and that she heard a speaker there who, whose topic was God's heart for in peace. said that she thought that and he was the guy in the dream. What? Oh, yes, because this is going in and out. All right. What? Probably. Okay. 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 All right. All right. All right. Come on. They set the old guy up with this stuff. Just. Okay. <clears throat> and so she said, so she said, well, perhaps, I, she says, I think you know this guy. And it was this powerful message about God's heart for the poor. And so we got talking, and the, this dream all came back to me, and she, she suggested that I should go visit him. Now, I knew that there was a precedent throughout the Bible of God speaking to people in dreams. And I knew that also, that there are accounts throughout church history of God speaking to people in their dreams. And so being as spiritual as I am, I thought, well, heck, it's worth a try. And so I went. We went. And while we were there, God captured my heart. Or I should say, God gave me his heart for that country and those people. So Nicaragua uh, for those of you who are geographically challenged, is in 
Central America, right in the middle of Central America. It's the largest uh, land mass there, the largest country. It has about six million people. Uh, and it is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere after Haiti. So when I came back, told my story, um, everybody got excited. And God started moving on the hearts of other people here in the church. And so shortly after that, we sent our first team to Nicaragua. And over the years, we would send many, many teams from this church, sometimes uh, more than one a year, to Nicaragua. And in those early days, our focus of our teams was on these orphanages, these children's homes. And God put such a love in the hearts of so many of our people for those children, those at-risk children. Here is one of our early teams that came from here under a big old tree. And here's one of our members there uh, sharing stories with uh, some of the, child the girls in the children's home. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we would do service projects and help with building and painting and doing all kinds of repairs. And God even allowed us, a couple of our teachers, our educators from the church here, were able to do this kind of continuing education with these teachers at this school in Nicaragua because they get no college, that's it, no more uh, ongoing education for them. So our teachers were able to do that with these teachers there. Well, after a few trips, uh, to Nicaragua, Doug and Julie Effinger, members of our church here, uh, felt they had such a heart for these children there that they felt God calling them to sell their house here in Vancouver, sell their business, and move full-time to Nicaragua, where they have lived for the last 20 years. Now, in early on, God gave uh, Doug a vision for, and actually, gave him the finances to take on a very large project. We got 25 acres, forested acres, uh, out in the country in Nicaragua, and he built a very large uh, children's facility. This was the, the team house where we, he would house teams and had a big dining room there. Um, and then there were individual homes, so to get away from the institutional kind of uh, living that many of the orphanages were like, these were individual homes that could have more of a family kind of feeling to them. So for many years, this is where we went. For many years, we would go there and we would serve and we would relate to these and love on these children. And again, doing a lot of times uh, different projects. Well, eventually, Doug, uh, and Julie moved on from that place, and they founded a, a new nonprofit called Nika Impact. And under that, the, that covering, they did incredible things in my mind. They did, they did feeding programs. Uh, they did clean water projects that we were able to participate with. They built a, a rural school. Um, Doug even uh, supervised the construction of uh, eight different huge suspension bridges that went across rivers that cut off communities uh, in the rainy season. 
uh, using college students from the states. They built a library, which was unheard of in, in uh, those communities there. And in that library, one of the things they did is they, they offered English uh, classes, which was really helped people to have a leg up in getting employment there. Uh, one of the, the big things that they have done, one of their major projects is they established these student homes where they were able to identify and find students in these in very poor rural settings uh, where they could come to these this home and live there and uh, continue their or start their education at university or at technical schools, something that could never happen without that project. And then they have a tutoring program in, in uh, after school tutoring of the public school that's kind of across the street, and they have 75 students in that every day. So um, there, oh, well, that was a picture of the. Uh, uh, of the English classes that were that go on in the library. These are some of the students that are right now in the home there. And look at that bridge. Some of these bridges were 90 meters long across these rivers that uh, he built. Amazing. Well, as blessed as we were to be part of a lot of those things, a little way, you know, a little part of what they were doing and our support for them. Um, we, I, I in particular felt that there was something more that God wanted for our church in Nicaragua, and that was church planting. And let me tell you a little bit about uh, church vineyard church planting or missions philosophy. Vineyard missions philosophy might be a little bit different than that which you've been exposed to in the past, maybe in churches that you were in or ways that you've participated. Uh, I, I think it's somewhat unique. I'm not sure. Uh, we are working in, right now, the vineyard movement is working in 60 different countries, but we have very, very few missionaries. And we don't have a mission agency that we work with. We have five guiding principles that we use in our cross-cultural missions. And the first one of that is local church-based missions. We believe that the local church is God's instrument to fulfill his mission in the world, okay? It is God's desire that every local church knows it, or, or kind of arrives at his full potential to evangelize and to make disciples in its own neighborhood, but then at the same time in the nations. Oh, wait a minute, I have to go back. I think I can do that. Okay. In the, this is a quote from Mark Fields, who for years was the uh, director of global missions for Vineyard. He says, in the Vineyard, two critical elements of missions are, number one, that initiative, responsibility, and vision reside in the local churches, and two, that each church's effort remain focused and strategic. So here's the strategy. Local churches here in the States identify and connect with leaders in other countries 
to build local churches. And so it is local churches building and supporting local churches. And so that then there becomes a relational bond between the churches here in the States and the churches there. So more than just a picture of a missionary on the, you know, on the missions board is we have relational connection with real people and real communities in other places. In 2002, uh, I was at a meeting with some leaders there in Nicaragua who were interested in what the vineyard was doing, and uh, two of them I had an instant connection with. And uh, that was Eugenio Maltez and Jose Tomas Rodriguez, um, and we developed a friendship, uh, a, a dear friendship. And within that next year, they planted the first Lavinia church in Managua. And over the years, and now it's been 23 years, over the years, they and their families have become some of my dearest friends. See, everything that we do in missions is relational. One key to that relational connection, again, is by sending teams. Team members from here and from other vineyard churches that we partner with go there and they connect with, in a real way with the people there and form lasting friendships. Oh, wait. Okay, guys, I can do this. Now, this might be a little overboard, but that's Glenn after all. And that is Jonelle, uh, who is now the pastor of our Creole church on the Caribbean coast. Do anybody recognize Miranda? And, and uh, Carrie, again, at that church in the Caribbean. Here is Eugenio Maltez speaking with a couple of our pastors, one from Texas, one from Oregon, and those connections. He, he would hate me for using this picture. He had a, a, a temporary paralysis in his face. Does anybody recognize this? Here's Gene. Something very deep was happening right there in this connection. And in this picture, there is uh, Marta, who many of you have seen here as she's spoken here, is the, the pastor of the Hinatepe Lavinia. She's also our national coordinator that helps coordinate our efforts down there, and her fiance, Edler, and then three old guys. Um, sometimes, a lot of times when we've been there, our teams have done actual practical things. Here is, is pouring a concrete floor for the school, Nika style. And an old guy doing that there too. And this is, if you want to hang a, uh, you have a team and you want to hang a uh, ceiling fan and you have no stepladder, it's just partnership here. It's how you, how you get them up there. The sec second strategy for vineyard missions is building using partnerships. 
We, uh, we form partnerships with other churches here in, in the United States to focus long-term on a particular nation or a particular people group. And so that way, uh, even small churches can have a big effect because oftentimes small churches don't feel that they can really do a lot in foreign missions because, um, uh, because they don't have the, the, the people or the resources, but when they partner together with other churches, they can, they can accomplish a lot. Uh, they can send, you know, if they don't have a whole team, they can send one or two people on a team that includes people from other churches. And it's a very effective way to do missions and involving, again, whole churches connecting with whole churches and planting churches. So the Vancouver Vineyard has been part of the, the Nicaragua partnership since uh, 2003. And so we partner with other churches from Washington, Oregon, Texas, uh, Missouri, Wisconsin, and Alberta at the present time. Uh, and it, when we form these partnerships, we ask the churches to commit for 10 years to that country because we want to see long-term, lasting uh, things built that will remain and be sustained without us. Um, this is a team, I love this picture because this is a team that represents, there's members of six different vineyard churches in this picture from all around the, the Northwest. The third strategy is establishing church planting movements. See, our goal in Nicaragua is to uh, establish a uh, healthy, sustainable, self-supporting, indigenous church planting movement in Nicaragua. See, healthy churches plant healthy churches. And uh, it is local churches that carry on the mission of the church. And so we want to see more and more local churches planted because they become the face of bringing the kingdom, bringing justice, bringing com the compassion and love of God to the communities in which they are in. So we want to see, again, a self-supporting, uh, self-sustaining church planting movement in Nicaragua. Now, we, we had, you know, as normally, we, you know, we had high hopes when we started 23 years ago of launching this. You know, we have eight churches there, and, you know, we are hoping for they would go faster, but we are, we are committed to the mission that God has given us. Uh, in the beginning, again, we, we asked all the churches to commit for 10 years, uh, but then our 10 years came and we re-upped for another 10 years as well as some other churches in the partnership. Um, let me see. This is a picture of uh, some of the folks from one of the Managua Lavinias. They were working in a, in a uh, very poor neighborhood in, uh, outside of the city in Tipitapa uh, with a children's program that they ran for years. Uh, this is one of our churches in Managua. It's an old theater. And uh, when I first went in it and they were showing me it, I, I went in, there's the front area lobby where actually the church meets these days. But you go back into the huge cavernous theater and I remember there was an 
owl living there that was flying around and owl droppings everywhere. And uh, we actually had a national conference in that building one year. Um, the, the pastor of that church, Ariel, um, he has, here is a picture of Ariel, and he's in front of the, the La Vina in uh, San Jorge Rivas, uh, where they have planted a mission church there several years ago. And this last year, we were able, as a partnership, to help them. Uh, we funded the construction of this facility there. Uh, and in, uh, there's, you can see the, where they, they meet. Most of our buildings, if you want to survive in Nicaragua, you don't put up walls uh, because there's no circulation and it's very hot. So this is where they meet and then there's children's uh, classes, classrooms behind that. And we were able to fund that and Ariel has, has planted that church out of his church, one in another community called La Concha, and another one on the island of Ometepe. Uh, this is uh, the, that first church that we, we planted. I mean, this is their like eighth building that they met in. We were able to help them, actually a person from this church, an architect from this church designed it, working with them, and we were able to at least help fund uh, the building of this church. Okay. Are we doing okay? I'm doing it. The next, uh, the next guiding principle is raising up indigenous leaders. See, our role in Nicaragua is not one of control or dominance in any way. We go to Nicaragua as servants to serve the church, to identify, recruit, train, and then support indigenous leaders in their churches there. Uh, we work really hard not to form that to allow those those churches to form a dependence on North America or North American churches or the partnership. And even though that's hard uh, financially in this very poor country, uh, it, it has been a pattern that has been happened many, many times in poor countries. And we did not want to repeat that same uh, dependency, that patriarchal kind of uh, relationship. And so uh, we don't support uh, pa our pastors there on an ongoing basis because uh, they would then be dependent on our support. And we want these churches, if we disappear, which in a country as volatile as Nicaragua could happen any day, and that's another story. But uh, we, we just have helped with training. We've done all kinds of training uh, seminars and workshops, and we've put on a, a national conference every two years, and we'd gather all of our churches together. Um, uh, one year, we did a, a boot camp, and we, we gathered like 30 young leaders from the churches, and it was a month-long uh, live-in boot camp. It was very intensive. Lane and I went for two of those weeks, and uh, it was an incredible time with, the, with these young people. 
Uh, we've, over the years, we've sent, sent them for training. We've sent them to Costa Rica that has more developed churches in Costa Rica. We've sent them to uh, Guatemala one year, and then we've brought them to the States for conferences. Um, this is a gathering, a, a quarterly gathering of uh, different leaders uh, in Nicaragua. That's in, in Doug's uh, project there, and those are all different leaders from their churches that we gather together for encouragement and training. This was our last trip that we just took uh, in February. Here, here we're praying for, this is in San Jorge Rivas, and we're praying for their youth leaders here. In that picture. It was a great time. Sweet people. Uh, these are some of our students from the boot camp that were there. And we had a great time with them over those times. Uh, this is uh, Norman and Marta um, Ellis, dear friends of ours that pastored our Creole church in the Caribbean coast for, for years. In the last three years, both of them have gone on to be with the Lord, which is a great loss for us and a friendship. Um, but you see the guy on the right? He's in half these pictures. Uh, he was younger there. You know. um, these are the new leaders for that church in, in Loma Fresca Vineyard in, in the Caribbean coast. And that um, on the right is um, Jonelle, who's now the pastoring that church. And they run a big school. And I'll talk about that in a minute. This is Iris, who's the, the second from the right there, who's um, the uh, pastor of the La Concha Vineyard. And she brought some of her youth. They all had, to that quarterly meeting, they all had matching shirts on. And this is one of our national conferences that we had that uh, I think Rick Olmsted from the Rocky Mountain Vineyard was speaking at this one. It was a great time. So the next thing, the fifth and, and final value was contextualizing vineyard values in each culture. Um, we want vineyard va churches to share our theology and our values. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of distinctive to the vineyard. We have a distinctive uh, worship style, uh, intimacy in worship, and cultivating the presence of God. Uh, we like... You know, we have a non-hype, non-religious kind of approach to these kinds of things. And so we would like to see that uh, extended in all of our churches. But we want to see it uh, contextualized uh, for their cultures. We don't want to see Washington-looking churches in Nicaragua. So we want to see Nicaraguan churches in Nicaragua. And so, um, again, worship is very dear to us, a certain way that we do uh, worship. Uh, but that doesn't always translate into other cultures. Uh, this is Doug leading his worship team in, in Hinatepe. And I say Doug because he's kind of trained these guys. It's sort of a, uh, I call that old school 
old school vineyard, kind of a mellow, acoustic sort of sound that they do, and it's great. It's great to worship with these folks. On the other hand, in Managua, uh, we have a much more exuberant uh, expression that was, much, in my mind, much more Latin, if you will, uh, but it's the same values. Intimacy for us is expressed one way, intimacy uh, for them is expressed another way. My friends that work in Africa, in the vineyards in Africa, they say, you know, we, we say intimacy and we mean this quiet, subdued, you know, very personal. They say intimacy and it's explosive in their expression, you know, and it's, it's according to the culture and we want to be culturally sensitive. So, Oh, yeah, here in that same church. Now, you don't see that a lot in, in our vineyard churches, but again, they have a, a very cute uh, dance team that uh, these young girls that, when we were just there, that, that uh, worship as they, as they do. Now, part of our vineyard DNA, and you'll find it in every vineyard church anywhere you go, is a, is a heart for the poor, to be involved in compassionate ministries, to foster justice in our communities. And, and they, that those, those values have been transmitted to the churches in, in Nicaragua, but each one of them does it in different ways. Um, the church on the Caribbean, they have established a school they have 225 students. They, before COVID, they had 350. Uh, they built this building, like you saw us pouring the floors. If anybody, a code uh, inspector ever came and saw the construction. But here's the, one of the classrooms. These are the boys this last time they were, school was over and they were waiting for their parents to come pick them up. Um, here's some of the kids. Here's some of the kids that are there in that school, and they have been doing that for years uh, on, on very, very little money. And, and it's a bilingual school because the, the, the uh, Creole people, uh, black Creole people in the Caribbean coast speak English, as well as Creole, kind of like a Jamaican Creole, English-based, and English, and they teach in English as well. So one of the, the, the exciting things that, that I learned about uh, Vineyard Missions in this last year was that although we have worked with Convoy of Hope over the years, there was sort of a formalized partnership uh, with this organization that does disaster relief and development and uh, all kinds of things all over the world. And we decided that even though we have been doing that for years in individual churches, especially some of our larger vineyard churches have just jumped on every uh, national, uh, you know, natural disaster that happens and goes and brings relief and help, that we don't want to reinvent the wheel. And so Convoy of Hope are these really great people. They've got all the equipment. They've got the big semi-trucks and ships that, and planes to take things. And so we, we, we want to direct our, our work with them, to partner with them to see these things done. When the Ukraine war uh, broke out, um, right away, we, Vineyard Churches was 
were able to raise like $200,000 to send. And they sent it to Convoy of Hope because Convoy of Hope can get it there immediately, which they did. And then in turn, Convoy of Hope used our vineyard churches in Ukraine as distribution centers for their things. So it's a great partnership. And they do teams as well. And they have invited us if we want to go on their teams because it, it's all set up doing disaster work and development work and women's issues work and all kinds of things around the world. Um, there's Convoy of Hope working in Kenya, some of their volunteers. So that uh, you've heard the prequel, you've heard the you know continuing uh, story of our mission journey here. And uh, but what's the sequel, okay? I don't know. See, Nika is not our only mission connection. Uh, our beloved Sharon, not her name, has now been living in a Muslim country now for 20 years, drinking tea and helping people to find freedom in Christ. And most importantly, in my mind, training indigenous leaders to help people find freedom in Christ. Right here in Nicaragua, uh, right here, we're not in Nicaragua, right here in, in Vancouver, the nations have come to us. And so we have people here in, in this church that are working, helping support Afghan refugees and refugees from Central America. Uh, Many of you have heard uh, Jed and Kim uh, Johnson. They have spoken here in the church about their working with people with disabilities, getting them out of these really not very good institutions that they're in and getting them into more uh, family circumstances. And so we continue to work with them in Wide Awake Ministries. So the sequel to this story all depends on you. Depends on what God tells you. How does he want you to partner with him in his grand mission? Does he want you to go on a team to Nicaragua? We're going to be sending teams again. Because of the unrest that happened in their country in 2018 and then COVID after that, we haven't been sending teams, but we're gearing up to start sending teams again. Does he want you to go on one of those teams? Does he want you to go on a convoy of hope Team? Does he want you to go somewhere else in the world? I can guarantee you that it will change your life. I think every, every one of you parent, as, you, as your ch children grow older, if they can take a, a, you know, a summer before college or a gap year or something, you know, we don't take people under 17 or haven't on our mission teams, but if you can expose them to what God is doing around the world, and you expose them to how people live in other countries, which is far different, especially as we go to developing countries, uh, than what we experience here. It'll change their lives. Um, are we inspiring our children? Are we uh, talking to our children about uh, a, perhaps a, a, a career in missions, perhaps to be a pastor, to be a worship leader, or, or um, to go on teams to, to make their uh, difference in the world. Um, I, think, I think that's what one of the things that we need to be doing continually 
in our, in, with, our, with our children and within our children's ministry here in the church. Inspire them to ask God not just what, you know, what career path can I go to, you know, that would best suit me, but Lord, what would you have for me to that I can make the biggest difference to see your son glorified in the earth? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Uh, next week, after church, uh, directly after church in the portal, we're going to have a meeting, an information meeting for any of you who want to know more about our missions to Nicaragua or anywhere else uh, and how you might get involved. And so with that, I'm done.